Well, Merry Christmas, Gateway family. It is good to see you. I hope you're all enjoying the beginning of the Christmas weekend and all that goes with that. As you think about Christmas and all that's coming up, what comes to mind when you think of the Christmas season? Is it the historical account of the birth of Christ? Or is what comes to mind when you think about Christmas, great busyness, running from holiday party to gathering to trip? Is it a season of great debt, of buying more and more and more stuff? Is it a season of great materialism, of wanting more and more and more stuff to consume for ourselves? Is it a season of great stress, trying to make sure everything is perfect, the house is right and the presents are wrapped just right, and stressing over all the details of it? I think for a lot of times, if we're honest, Christmas is often like that for us. Yet we all know in our hearts that's not what Christmas is supposed to be about. You see, the Christmas story is a grace gift from God to us because it's about something much more than us. And it's this morning we're going to go back to the historical account of the birth of Jesus. And I just want us to remind us this is a grace gift from God that he's given us to help us see something really big and really important. Now, before we look at that as a church by family, I want to invite the boys and girls to a story time up front. So boys and girls, if you want to, you're welcome to come sit up front with me here. Come on down here, guys. Boys and girls, you're welcome to come sit down. Sit down where you can see, okay? And we'll hold up a book and I want you to all be able to see it, okay? So, boys and girls, when you think about Christmas, what typically comes to your mind? What do y'all think about when you think of Christmas? What do you think about? Santa Claus. Santa Claus? What else? Reindeer. Reindeer. What else do you think about Christmas? Anyone else? Y'all are a quiet group this morning. Jesus. Jesus? Okay, good, good. We got the right answer. What else do you think about? The manger. The manger? Yeah. Baby Jesus. Baby Jesus. There's a lot that comes to our minds when we think about what happens at Christmas. So, I want to read you from this great book called The Big Picture Story Bible. I want to read y'all a little bit about the birth of Christ. I think about Jesus on this Christmas Eve morning. So we're going to start back at the beginning of the New Testament part of this book. It says, years passed without a single word from God. And the years turned into many years. And the many years turned into hundreds of years. And the great promises of God seemed to fade away. Israel became less important in the world. Other nations became great. Strong nations powerful nations whose kings ruled over God's people. One such king was Caesar Augustus. This Roman ruler thought he was very important. One day he wondered to himself, how will everyone know that I am the great Caesar, the Roman ruler, the king of the world? I know I will count all the people under my rule. Surely that will show the world how great I am. So Caesar, the Roman ruler, the king of the whole Roman world, began counting all his people to show everyone how great he was. What Caesar did not know was that God, the world's true ruler, the king of the universe, was getting ready to show everyone how great he was. I just want to pause there, boys and girls, because we're going to see in just a minute from the Bible that Christmas is about us seeing how great God is. Can you all say God is great? God is great. That's right. Yeah, God, the world's true ruler, was getting ready to show everyone how great he was. God was going to end the many years of silence, and God was going to keep his promise of a forever king. And do you know how God was going to do that? Not like Caesar, not proudly by counting all of his people, but humbly by becoming one of his people. In the power of his spirit, God would bring his forever king into the world as a baby. Who knows what baby that is? Jesus. Jesus, yeah, baby Jesus. Well, look at all the people on the road to Bethlehem. They were on their way to be counted, and they were very unhappy. They were mad at the king. And they frowned as they walked. They were angry with the king and they grumbled as they walked. But not everyone was unhappy. Do you see this happy couple on the road? If they were mad at the king, their faces did not show it. 
Do you know why they were so happy? Mary soon was going to have a baby. God had told Mary and Joseph that their baby was the promised one from long ago. He would rescue God's people. Can you say that Jesus will rescue God's people? Very good. Jesus would rescue God's people. He would give God's place back to them. He would bless all the peoples of the earth. But in this crowded city, where could this special baby be born? In a nice big home? No, not in a nice big home. In a clean hotel? No, not in a clean hotel. All the nice big homes and clean hotels were filled up with people. Do you know where the special baby would be born? A stable. A stable, that's right. God's forever king was born in a stable, a place for animals. His parents named him Jesus. They wrapped him warmly and laid him in a manger. What a strange place for the promised one. Who would have imagined it? While Caesar, the king of the Roman world, was showing everyone how great he was by counting all of his people, God, the king of the universe, was showing the world how great he was by sending his son into the world as one of his people. Boys and girls, can you say that Christmas shows us how great God is? Can you say that? That's a big thing. Christmas shows us how great God is. There you go. And what a very big day that was. What God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David had arrived in the birth of Jesus. And news of his great arrival was about to spread. Boys and girls, thanks for listening. Miss Molly has candy canes for you, so you get some sugar during the sermon time to take back with what you said with your parents. So go over to Miss Molly, boys and girls. Thanks for listening so well this morning. Get a candy cane as you head back to your seat with your moms and dads. So as they're returning to their seats there, what I want us to realize, friends, is what we were just talking about with the boys and girls. So often our thoughts of Christmas turn to what Christmas is not really about. And we miss the grace gift, we miss the wonder, we miss the importance of what Christmas is really all about. So often we focus on Christmas as being about ourselves, about our stuff, being about our schedules. But friends, Christmas is God's grace gift to show us the stunning greatness of God. Just like the boys and girls were showing us and telling us through their words as well, Christmas is all about the greatness of of God. So there's one idea I want us to see this morning. It's simply this. Christmas should remind us of the greatness of God. Friends, Christmas should remind us of the greatness of God. When you think about the Christmas story, the point of it, the reason God's given it to us is to show us how great He is. It's all about His greatness. And friends, as much as I love the Christmas season, the traditions, I love Christmas lights, I love Christmas trees, I love decorating houses for Christmas, I love the Christmas movies, I love the Christmas dinners, all that stuff that we so associate with the holiday season. And as good as all that is, friends, Christmas is not primarily about that. Christmas is God's grace gift to remind us of the greatness of God. So would you turn to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. We've been working a lot in Sunday mornings through the Gospel of John, and we'll pick back up there, Lord willing, next week. But as you know, there's four Gospels. The Gospel just means good news. And in the Bible, there's four of these books of good news that tell us the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four tell us the life of Christ. They just tell it from four different perspectives, but they all tell us one story. So while I've been focusing on John, today we're going to focus on Matthew's account because he writes about Jesus, but just from a little bit different perspective. Matthew is writing primarily for Jewish readers, and his focus of the whole book is on the kingdom of God. And he's going to make a case throughout all of Matthew, including what we're reading in Matthew 1 today, that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one that the Jewish people have been longing for and is, they've been waiting for. So as we begin reading in Matthew chapter 1 this morning, I want you to kind of look for one thing as we read. What in this account shows us the greatness of God? What in this is the greatness of God? And I pray that the familiarity many of us have with the Christmas story won't cause us to miss the wonder of the story. 
Because the Christmas story, this historical account of what happened, reminds us of the greatness of God. So as we're reading, look for what reminds us of that. Now, I am going to read the genealogy here. You're going, oh no, why is he doing that? There's a reason for reading the genealogy and all the names here this morning in Matthew. And, and I'm not going to tell you yet what the reason is, but as we're reading it and we're listening to the names, don't check out on me on the names. There's a reason God put it in here. There's a reason we're reading it as a church family as well. And so even as we look at the names, what in these names show us the greatness of God and why is it in there? Christmas reminds us of the greatness of God. And let's see that from Matthew chapter 1. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We'll start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And hang in there with me through the names here. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadad, and Amminadad the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Let's keep going with verse 6 still. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers by the time of the departure to Babylon. Hanging in there with me, verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel the father of Abiad. Abiad the father of Elikam. Elikam the father of Azor. And Azor the father of Zadok. And Zadok the father of Achim. Achim the father of Eliad. And Eliad the father of Eliezer. Eliezer the father of Matham. And Matham the father of Jacob. Verse 16. And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word to us. And Lord, I thank you for your grace gift in sharing with us the birth of Christ. That we don't have to wonder how these things came to pass, but you've made it very clear to us. And I pray this day, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would open our eyes to the wonder of this story, to how great you are, O Lord. And God, our familiarity with the Christmas story wouldn't blind us this day to the wonders of what really happened and to the wonders of who you are and how great you are. Give us eyes to see, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. So again, I want you to see simply this morning that Christmas reminds us of the greatness of God. And there's several things I want you to see of how Christmas reminds us of the greatness of God in this text. The first thing I want you to see is Christmas reminds us of God's great sovereignty. We see throughout this text the sovereignty of God. And so Christmas reminds us of His great sovereignty. What is sovereignty? Sovereign means God's rule over all things. God's complete control 
over all history. When we talk about God being the king, the sovereign king, we're talking about his rule, his command over all that happens. Just like I read to the kids in the kids' story, that God was coming as Jesus, as the world's true ruler, the king of the universe. That's not just little talk for kids. That's true. God is sovereign. He is the king, the true ruler over all of the universe. So why did we read the genealogy this morning? Not just because I wanted to have fun trying to pronounce names that we don't know how to pronounce well, right? That's not the reason for it, or to have a long list of names here. Because this list of names is a stunning picture of the sovereignty of God over all that ever happens. It's a picture for us of the stunningness of God's great sovereign rule over all things. I'm not going to reread the names again. I've already attempted that for the morning. But I want us to look at the bookends of the genealogy. So look back in verses 1 and 2. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. We'll pause there, and I'll jump down to verse 16. If you get through all these generations, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. What is Matthew doing for us here? He's tracing Jesus' lineage back to two key people in Old Testament history. He's going back first to Abraham. In fact, back in verse 1, he calls Jesus the son of Abraham. If you remember from the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, history of God's people prior to Jesus' coming, Abraham was the founder of the Jewish nations. And way back in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, God promised that one day through one of Abraham's descendants, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Not just the Jewish people, but all the nations, all the peoples of the world would be blessed because of one of Abraham's descendants. Abraham and his followers rightly understood that as a promise to the Messiah, the rescuer, the promised one would come through his line. So Matthew is showing us that Jesus is, in fact, this promised one who would come bless all the nations and rescue the nations. He's not the only descendant that Matthew highlights for us. Halfway through the genealogy, he switches to King David and shows us King David as well. Why? Because way back in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7 in the Old Testament, God promised to David, this great king in Israel's history, he said, from your line, from you, one of your descendants will have his throne established forever. That one of David's descendants would rule forever. That also was the promise of the true ruler, the true king who was coming. It was the promise of the Messiah. And Matthew doesn't want us to miss that. And so back in the very first verse that we just read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to remind us, Christ is not his last name. You didn't have Mary and Joseph Christ get together and have a baby, and Jesus Christ was born. Christ is not a last name. It's a title, and it's a really important title that we're so familiar with, we can miss it a lot of times. The word Christ is a title that comes, is a Greek translation of a Hebrew word. It was the Hebrew word for Messiah, for the anointed one, this one who was promised to come and rescue his people, the one who was promised as a true king, the sovereign king overall, this Messiah, this Christ, was coming. So what's the big deal in all this? I share all that to say for us to be reminded and realize 2,000 years before Jesus came. We're not talking about like a decade or two before. 2,000 years before Jesus came, God is already giving prophecies and promises that a Messiah, a ruler, would come, that Jesus would come. And so he promises this. And for 2,000 years of history, this guy sit by passively up in heaven going, oh, I hope this might work out one day. I'm just not sure. No, God's not up in heaven wondering if this is going to work out. Through all these generations, God's not up in heaven going, oh, I really hope that guy gets with that girl so they can have that baby in my line or else I'm going to be really messed up. God's not been heaven leaving anything to, to chance here. If you look through this line of the people we just read here, friends, if the, one of these guys doesn't get married, the line stops. If one of these people dies in battle prematurely before he has a baby, the line stops. 
But that didn't happen. Why? Because God is sovereign. He's ruling over all history. And for all these thousands of years of these generations, God is not sitting by passive. He is ruling over all. He's commanding all the events of these thousands of years of history to ensure that all these generations come like they do so that the Messiah certainly comes at the right time. And God is using flawed people with sin natures and messed up stories just like you and me. And he's still sovereign over all that. And it's working about at the right time to bring about Christ. And nothing can stop his perfect will at the perfect time. So we see this genealogy and think about the, how that ties into the Christmas story. I want you to be reminded of the greatness of God, particularly his great sovereignty, that nothing could stop Christ from coming. Nothing could stop even any of these lives being messed up or ended early. They could stop the line. God is sovereign, ruling over all, and was ensuring that Christ would come at the right time. We see his great sovereignty, his great rule even here in the Christmas story. That's not the only thing we see in the Christmas story about God's greatness. The Christmas story reminds us of God's great faithfulness as well, his great faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is always doing what we're going to say we're going to do. Faithfulness is being consistent, being trustworthy, keeping all of our promises. And Christmas reminds us of God's great faithfulness. Look at verses 22 and 23 in the story that we just read. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What's Matthew doing? He's quoting from the book of Isaiah here. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Again, think about this. This was written 700 years before Jesus came. This wasn't someone who was looking ahead going, I bet in a few years this might happen. 700 years before Jesus came, came this is what was told would happen. Verse 23, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But friends, that's not the only promise that's fulfilled. We can go all the way back to Genesis 3. We were told the Messiah would be born of a woman. Genesis chapter 22, we were told that the Messiah would be the offspring of Abraham. Genesis 49, we were told the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. In Genesis, or sorry, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we were told he'd be of the family of David. In Isaiah chapter 7, what he quotes here, we saw the Messiah would be born uh, to a virgin. In Micah chapter 5, it was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. And all those things come out hundreds of years before they happen. God is telling us what he's going to do. And there's no up there. God's not up in heaven going, well, I might do this. God's saying, no, this is going to happen. I'm telling you what will happen. I am faithful. I will keep my word. God keeps his promises. And sure enough, in the fullness of time, Christ comes. And every prophecy is fulfilled exactly as it was told. It would happen because God himself is faithful. So when we look at the Christmas story, it's not just a nice story of a baby in a manger. It's a testimony of the great sovereignty of God that he's commanding all of history. It's a testimony as well of his great faithfulness that God will always do what he has promised to do. There's another one I think we see in here about God's greatness. Christmas reminds us of God's great power. Not only is God sovereign and ruling, not only is he telling us what will happen, he has the power to make it happen. God's not been heaven going, well, I wish this would happen. If only I can get my people to cooperate, this might happen one day. God is a sovereign ruler who's telling us this will certainly happen. He's going to declare the ends from the beginning as well. And he has the power to make it all happen to where nothing can stay his hand. Nothing can stop him in this. God is all-powerful. If you remember throughout Scripture, God is called God Almighty. He's the one who spoke, and through the sound of his voice, the universe comes into being. God doesn't have to use anything else. He just speaks, and the universe spins into... He speaks, and light comes. He speaks, and the world is created. He speaks, and mankind can be formed. God speaks, and things happen on all this. I love what it says in the book of Job. It says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There's nothing that can stop God's plan. God has told us what will happen. He's sovereign over it all. And because of his power, nothing can stop him from doing it. The God who purposed before eternity, before time began to send the Messiah 
The God who's faithful to keep his word is the God who's powerful enough to make it happen. Look at verse 18 in here. So you look back at the Christmas story. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now let's jump down to verse 20. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God is all-powerful. He can do what's impossible to man. A woman who's never been with a man can have a child here. The Spirit of God overshadows her, and she conceives supernaturally on this. And if it's not stunning enough, the baby who's within her is not only a baby, it's the God who spoke the world into being. He didn't, Jesus didn't begin in Mary's womb. Jesus has always existed as God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And yet he humbles himself and he becomes a baby in her tummy who grows and develops and is born as a boy who becomes a man. How can that be? Because God is all-powerful. And the God who speaks the world into being is the same God who can become a baby in, in Mary's womb and come as human flesh, as Emmanuel, as God with us. So as you think about the Christmas story, be reminded of God's power. Be reminded of God's faithfulness. Be reminded of God's sovereignty. There's one more thing I want to make sure we don't miss in this story. Because we live in a culture that makes everything about us and what we want and how great we are as a people. And I just want to remind us this morning that Christmas reminds us of the greatness of God, not the greatness of us. Christmas reminds us of the greatness of God, not the greatness of us. Friends, Jesus did not come because we're so great. Jesus came because we're such a mess. He came because we are sinners. The only thing great about you and me that warrants Jesus to come is our sin. There's nothing else great in us for God to come except for the fact that our sin is so great. Look at verse 21 here. She, Mary, will bear a son. And you, speaking of Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It was not told to Joseph that Jesus was going to come because God loves his people so much and they're so amazing and he can't stand to be without them. And they're just so wonderful that he has to be there with them. Jesus is coming, verse 21, because he needs to save his people from their sins. Save means to rescue. And not only does, are we told that's why he's coming, his very name, Jesus, that we hear so much and we pray in and we use his name a lot, his name reminds us that's why he's coming. The name Jesus comes from a Hebrew word, Yeshua, that means Yahweh is salvation, that God saves or the Lord saves. So even the name of Jesus himself, the reason Joseph is commanded to name him Jesus it's because he's come to save. Yahweh is going to save his people. That he's going to rescue his people from their sins. And friends, our sins are great. Our sins are many. Scripture is so clear in the book of Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned. And as you're getting together at Christmas time, you're with family. Think about the sweetest member of your family. Maybe it's you, maybe it's someone else. But think about the sweetest member of your family. And no matter how sweet that person's been to you your whole life, that person is a sinner in God's eyes. There's not one person on the face of this planet who's ever been sinless. Every single person is born a sinner. We don't sin, or we don't, we're not sinners because we sin, friends. We sin because we're born sinners. From the moment we come into this world, we are sinners by nature. We've inherited a sin nature from our forefathers going all the way back to Adam, and our sin is great. Therefore, all of us are separated from God. All of us are alienated from God. All of us are lost. All of us are in need of rescue. And there's only one who can come and rescue us. And to have that happen, God has to do what God does. God himself, who's perfect, becomes a man and takes on human flesh. If he's not God, he's not perfect, and he can't be our sacrifice. Another sinner can't take the place for the judgment you and I deserve. 
but he also becomes a man so that he can identify with us, so that he can actually be our sacrifice and live a perfect life. And so this mystery, this wonder of Christmas, of God and his great sovereign wisdom, and God and his faithfulness, and God and his power, comes to us, not because we're so great, but because we're in such great need. And he takes on human flesh. The creator who's always existed takes on human flesh and comes. Why? Not to say a cute baby in a manger. Not so we have a cute little nativity scene in front of our house. But Jesus came not to remain a baby. He came to live a perfect life. He came to fulfill the law that you and I break, that every person in the world has broken. All of us have broken God's perfect law, his perfect standards. And so Jesus came and he didn't break it. He fulfilled perfectly every part of the law, every little detail of it, from worshiping God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, to honoring his father and his mother, to speaking truthfully, to you name it. He he obeyed everything perfectly on that, fulfilled the law that we could not so that he could go to the cross to die the death that you and I deserve. Because our sin is so great, we deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God. God's wrath is directed against all sin because God is holy. If we take away God's wrath, you take away the holiness of God, and you no longer have a God who's worthy of our worship. God has to punish sin. He can't just wipe over it. And so Christ comes, fulfills the law for us, goes and dies a cruel death to take the wrath that we deserve and become our substitute. When you think about the Easter story, Christ didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day, defeating death so that he can defeat death for you and for me. So as we receive his gift of salvation, we can have life as well. But friends, he didn't come to rescue us, to keep us at a distance from him. He came to rescue us so that we could be with him as well. Look at verse 23. This is one of the wonders of Christmas and one of the beautiful parts about what God has done in his sovereign plan, out of his faithfulness, out of his great power. Look at what he's made available to us. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son... And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I this follows what we talked about last week as we were in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll be with you. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He's, you remember to the last week's sermon. He gives us the love of the Father. He gives us his presence. He gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit. He truly, God is truly with us as his children. And so when we can't get to him, he comes to us. So friends, the only thing the Christmas story tells us is great about us is our sin, our losses, and our need. But the Christmas story, this historical account, reminds us of the greatness of God, his great sovereignty, his great rule, his great faithfulness to do what he said he'd do, and his great power as well. Christmas reminds us of God's greatness. So with that in mind, as we wrap up this morning, I want to ask you just a few questions as you think about that. As you think about the Christmas story this morning, and I encourage you as, as parents to talk about the Christmas story with your kids, to take some time tonight or tomorrow and read it with them and talk to them about the wonder of it. Husbands and wives, talk about it together with your friends. Talk about it and let's marvel over what God has done in this. But I want to ask you this morning, as we're still together this, to think about how Christmas reminds us of God's great sovereignty. Are we trusting in that sovereignty? Are we trusting in his goodness? God didn't stop ruling over the world when Christ came. Look at all those genealogies, those thousands of years that God is orchestrating all the events of human history to bring about Jesus. Did he stop like, okay, good, Jesus is here, I'm done. Hands off now, let them do what they want to do. No, God is still sovereign, ruling over the world. Because remember, time is marching on. The Christ is coming back again. At Christmas, we're celebrating the first coming of Christ. But don't forget, friends, there's a second coming. He's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's coming back to rule the world in justice. He's coming back as a ruling king on that. And as we think about that, God is still orchestrating the events of your life and my life and all of human history to bring about that second return of Christ. Are we trusting in God's sovereign plan over the world and over our lives as well? Do you this Christmas Eve morning have confidence that God is really sovereignly ruling in your life and really in control? Remember, Christmas also reminds us of God's great faithfulness. 
So friends, on this Christmas Eve morning, are you trusting in the faithfulness of God? That God will do what God said He would do. That all of His promises are true. They are yes in Christ. And are you looking to the promises when life is tough, when things are hard for you? Are you clinging to the promises of God? Are you looking into His Word with eagerness to say, God, what have you promised me? And you cling to things where He's promised us He'll never leave us or forsake us, where He's promised us that He will guide us, when He's promised us that He rejoices over us with singing, when He's promised us that He who started this good work will bring it to completion. Are you clinging to His faithfulness and clinging to His promises this Christmas morning? Are you clinging to yourself in the midst of life and trying to hang in there on your own? Christmas reminds us not only of God's sovereignty, His great faithfulness, but also His great power. So friends, on this Christmas Eve morning, I need to ask as well, are we trusting in God's great power? And particularly, are we praying like we really believe that God is all-powerful? Life is tough. The world doesn't always make sense, and I'm not going to pretend it does. A lot of you have had a lot of trials this year and a lot of difficulties and are even going through them right now this Christmas Eve morning. But friends, do we believe that God is as all-powerful today as he was on that Christmas morning when the wonder of the incarnation happened and a virgin got pregnant and had the Son of God within her womb? Do we believe God is still that powerful today? And are we going to pray accordingly, trusting him and his goodness to move and asking him to move and believing he really can't answer and he still is at work? My friends, also, Christmas reminds us how great our sin is. Are we looking this Christmas Eve morning to Jesus to forgive us of our sins? Are we trusting in him and him alone? Again, the scripture is so clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Are we deceiving ourselves and thinking, you know, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad. Do we start comparing ourselves to other people and realize, well, I'm not quite so bad? Are we believing that? Are we really believing what God's word says, that I am a wretched, depraved sinner like everyone else on the planet? Because my comparison is not to one another. My comparison is to God. I look at myself compared to God. I am a mess. I am a wretch, and I need Jesus. So are we seeing the greatness of our sin? Is that driving us to our knees this Christmas morning? So, friends, as you think about the Christmas story, as you celebrate Christmas Eve with family and friends tonight and tomorrow and the days to come, in the midst of all the, the fun things of Christmas with the trees and the presents and the dinners and the, all the things that happen, let me plead with you and encourage you, don't miss the wonder of it. Don't miss how it proclaims God's sovereign plan, His sovereign rule. Don't miss how it proclaims God's faithfulness. Don't, let it, don't miss how it proclaims God's power over all things. And I pray that would be God's grace gift in your heart and in my heart this Christmas Eve and Christmas Day tomorrow to drive us back to a place where we worship Him and we marvel and wonder in awe at what Christmas is and what it means for our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that we get to celebrate this Christmas Eve morning together. Lord, I just thank you for what this Christmas story reminds us of. Lord, to think that you looked upon us as wretched sinners who had no hope of ever being good enough to get to you. Wretched sinners who offended you. God, we were all people shaking our fist at you, saying we want our way, not yours. Yet, God, in your love and mercy, you looked at us, your enemies. And God, you made us your children. And God, we knew you could only do that, not just by brushing our sin under a rug somewhere, not just overlooking it, but a, a sin debt had to be paid. So, Lord, I thank you on this Christmas morning. We get to celebrate how you made that possible. That you, Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came in human flesh, fully God and fully man. The incarnation, this incredible mystery. But you came not to be a cute baby in a manger for us to have good feelings at Christmas. You came to live a perfect life, to fulfill the law, to die as our substitute, so that when we believe in you, all of our sins are forgiven. So, Lord, I pray this Christmas morning in my heart and in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, that we wouldn't lose the wonder of that. That we wouldn't look at Christmas in isolation from Easter. 
And God, we think about the wonders and the glories of what it's all about. And Lord, would you remind me this day, would you remind these brothers and sisters this day and throughout this week, God, how sovereign you are, how big you are, how great you are. God, would you remind us of how faithful you are to your word. Would you remind us how powerful you are. And Lord, I pray that would be our anchor. Lord, even in the toughness of life, I pray that that would be our anchor, that you are the great ruling God who's over all. God, I pray we'd worship you accordingly for that. We thank you for all these things. And Lord, we will give you the praise this Christmas season for all that you have done and God, all that you will do. And Lord, we can say this Christmas morning, we love you. Lord, not because of anything in us, but because you first loved us. Lord, fill my heart and fill these brothers and sisters' hearts with awe and wonder this Christmas season. That we return to you in praise, not just this morning or not just when we gather together to sing Christmas carols tonight, but Lord, in our heart and our thoughts and our minds all week long. Lord, in all year ahead as well, Lord, we'd remember that you are Emmanuel, God with us because of what you've done. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?